Hello and welcome to the first ever Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. I'm Tony Kerr and with me today I've got two of my esteemed colleagues from the Press Sports Desk, Rob Batiste. Hello. And Gareth Leprevo. Hi, Tony. We'll be getting together each week to talk about the big moments, big performances and big issues in local sport. And we'll be joined by plenty of guests along the way. Uh, first up today, we'll be looking back over lockdown two and some of the standout stories of the last few weeks. With cycling set to lead the way out of lockdown once again, we'll touch on how that sport has boomed in recent times. And if you've been following our countdown of Guernsey's top 100 footballers, you'll know we're reaching the business end of things. We'll recap some of Rob's favourites from the list so far. Chaps, the plan is to start each show with our moments of the week. Of course, it has been a bit slow on the sporting front, at least as far as the action is concerned. Uh, but there has still been a fair amount going on, of course. Uh, Rob, what story has stood out for you during this lockdown period? Well, undoubtedly this week it's Chelsea beating Everton 2-0 so convincingly on Monday night. I've, I've resisted saying anything to Gareth all week about it, but now is as good a time as ever. Rivalries um, revealed already. <laughs> but no, but um, it's been really frustrating this, um, this latest lockdown. Last year we were, I think from the word go, we were expecting it to last a long time and it did. This time we had we were cut down in full slow. We had a fantastic football season on the were going, and it was um, reaching a really good climax. And so to lose that when we did was really frustrating. But all the signs are that we'll be back very soon, and so we will be hopefully in a couple of weeks of football, and we'll be back to a really exhilarating Premier League title race. And off the field, of course, there have been some, some quite interesting developments, particularly in terms of kind of facilities, infrastructure and whatnot. Yeah, that's right. Particularly at the track. Um, bells have not been slow. Again, they've um, putting a lot of money into developing new 3G training surface behind the old stand um, to help along their, their burgeoning mini section. And fair play to them. Great, great work by um, the club. They really have turned things around in the last couple of years. And thanks to good friends like Hilary Saar and DWA, they're managing to come up with the, the, um, the finance. They do a great project, which I'm sure will, be, will benefit them and local football in general in, in, in years to come. Yeah, not just that. We've heard a bit more about the plans for the Grand Mar the redevelopment of the of the hotel and the the whole site down there and, and sort of planning permission kind of moving apace. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, golf, um, I really do like golf down at the Grand Mar. It's a very, very pleasant place to be on a summer's evening, particularly watching good golf. And we're seeing the plans that they've got for the new course. Uh, it's going to be terrific. Um, I was a bit horrified to hear that all the tamarisks may well come out, and but I'm assured that every tree that is that is, is ripped out of the ground will be replaced by a new one. Um, so, but I think the course will look different, and be I'm sure it's going to be very testing. So, yeah, look forward to that. Yeah, really exciting to see how that project comes together. I'd have to say I couldn't pick out a tamarisk in a in the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> They're very basic trees. <laughs> uh, Gareth, what stood out for you about the last few weeks? Um, well, 
it's it's been a shame not being able to get out to see much live sport that's for sure i mean it's, it comes to something when you get excited by um, being told that there's going to be a Siam in August. But when that news actually came through, I was sort of like, great, I've got some rugby to look forward to for a change. Um, just those sort of things have been just a nice little positive in, in these tough times. Um, obviously, the big news recently about um, Alex Scott was perhaps the most exciting thing we've heard. Um, just it came almost a bit out of the blue when he got on the bench for the, the match day squad at Swansea for the first time in his career, and then literally two days later we're writing the fact that he's got a pro contract. And for someone of his age, getting what they've described as the long term contract, I mean they haven't actually specified the exact length of it, but um, when you when you follow football closely, you'll, you'll notice a lot of academy guys perhaps get a one year deal just because they're not sure how they're going to progress, and what have you. The fact that it's called a long-term contract, I think, is pretty significant. They obviously rate Alex very highly, and it's not really a surprise when, you, when you've when you seen him play. I mean, I've only seen him in action for GFC, but he stood out a mile, and he's, he's a class act. You can just tell that in him. And, um, yeah, judging by how Bristol City are going, um, I think it's a great place for him to be for the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was awesome to see that news, uh, and and as you say that that kind of the you know, getting on the on the bench, the, the contract coming a couple of days later. What I think what's so impressed me about about the, that situation is is what in many ways has been a, a difficult transition for him to to go from from playing a few months for Guernsey FC to to, to moving over to Bristol, living with a host family. Uh, that you know that in itself is obviously as we you know. And, Exactly. You know, that was just a few weeks before the pandemic or a couple of months before the pandemic to 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 get through that and come out the other side with with a professional contract, I think, speaks a lot about how he's kind of applied himself over there and, and the potential they see in him. That's right. He's um, really stuck at it. Let's face it, you know, over the decades, many a fine Guernsey footballer has headed off to the UK hoping to be a pro, but just couldn't hack being away from home for any time any time at all really so fair play to Alex for digging in and really um and really improving himself he's certainly bulked up yeah absolutely well, we're going to talk about some of the some of the, the you know the greatest Guernsey footballers perhaps who, who who didn't quite make that transition to the professional game but but who obviously made a huge impact locally and uh you know for, for yeah other things considered might well have been you know might well have been able to make a big impact you know in the pro ranks as well had, had things gone slightly differently. I think just staying with football for me as well, one of, one of the, the highlights certainly of the last few weeks has been watching um, uh, the results and the performances of, of Mayor Letizia at, at Brighton. Um, some, some phenomenal results, particularly their win over Chelsea. Uh, what was it, something like 31 games they'd won in a row? Um, yeah, you know, that, that obviously, you know, that, that they're a the class act in in the division um, and for Brighton to go and to pull that off and Mayer to be at the centre of it is is pretty exciting and, and they've got a little bit of momentum three wins in a row that's that's the important thing I mean it was such a big result against Chelsea I don't think anyone saw that one coming but they've built on it which is the really important thing. and don't forget before Chelsea they'd gone to Bristol City who hadn't won and lost to Bristol City so to get, come out of that and then win three on the trot including winning at Chelsea that's an amazing achievement. And Maya is just, sort of, it goes without saying, she's in the side every week. She's obviously made a big impression there and has got a very, very bright future ahead of her, having already basically established herself in the Women's Super League. Yeah, it's definitely a very exciting 
time for, for her and Alex, of course, with, with close family connections, um, and, and for them both to be uh, kind of making their way, uh, you know, on the, on the, in the, the men's and women's side of things is, is pretty exciting for Guernsey football. It also shows that St Martins have done something right in the last decade or so. You know, not that long ago, they had a pretty poor um, development system, particularly mini system, but um, in the last few years, they've produced a lot of good talent, which is coming through to their first team now. Well, lots to look forward to, uh, I'm sure, from, from those two players. And just looking ahead to, to what's going to be happening on Ireland over the, the next couple of weeks. Of course, we're coming out of a very strict lockdown, as we said at the top. It, you know, it, it's felt slightly different to the first lockdown. Um, but, but things certainly moving in the right direction, of course, now, which is, which is fantastic to see. We might get a little bit of action this weekend, all being well, if the, if the weather doesn't get in the way. Yeah, it seems the cyclists will be out, not exactly in force that they probably were expecting a few days ago. Um, the com- combination of big tides and strong winds has put, to pay, put pay to um, the time trials, which were due to run from Kobo on Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, but there'll be a mountain biking time time trial, downhill time trial at La Pomar at St Peter's on Sunday, nevertheless. But the cycling is days away, and it's it's great um, to see how that sport has progressed incredibly over the last 30 years, particularly. And in the last 10, it's moved on really, really fast. Um, I can recall when I first started in the late 70s, you know, and Easter festivals was the the big thing, of course, you know. We never had a sight of a proper peloton. But nowadays, when you have your your regular road races, we've got big groups of riders out on the course. To the extent we've got probably four divisions of riders plus a separate women's section. It's fantastic to see. It really is really pleasing to see how that sport has come in 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 a relatively short time um you know when i think back to the early days when we glenn longland used to be the big man coming over from the uk every easter um to basically what the guernsey guys and little Eamon kennedy the little irishman was on the stopwatch alan renyard was at his peak and ian brown was coming through um you know of course nowadays it's just it's it's grown out of all recognition it's fantastic to see and so proactive as well as a club, because yeah, as I said, last lockdown they were the first first back. I remember being there at the, the time trial in, in glorious sunshine um, at the end of May last year. Um, and and what, what kind of impresses me is just how kind of relentless the schedule is and the desire to be out competing, because it is every weekend. It's 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 you know some of them are a couple of times a weekend, first thing in the morning. I've got nothing ad- admiration for cyclists over here. I mean. It must be, to be a serious cyclist, you've got to put serious mileage in. And on our roads, which are always busy, there's always um, roads being dug up everywhere, it seems. It must be really frustrating to be a top cyclist, to put that mileage in and be frustrated by cars pulling out, being stuck behind cars and lorries, etc. Whereas... In contrast, to say, to be a runner, they can go basically anywhere and there's far more variety in their training. It must be fair play to them. Um, compared to places like Isle of Man, we are really hamstrung um, in terms of training, but we seem to provide the, um, the top quality cyclists nevertheless. What do you think is behind the, the, the boom then in cycling? Oh, clearly, the, you know, there is a big movement sort of more generally in society to get people on bikes and away from, from their cars. Is it just, do you think, 
you know, increased participation that feeds, you know, top end of, of competitive people or, or, or is that kind of competitive nature being instilled at quite a young age? Well, I think um, undoubtedly the big mover in, in, in cycling is, was the development of the, the enclosed track, uh, tarmac track up Delancey Park. It's about 800 metres long, something like that. And I suppose we must have had that 20 years now. Now, Dave Harry, former Velo Club president, pushed for that and fair play to him. He, um, that, that, that move was integral to what we're seeing now. It introduced so many youngsters into cycling. They could learn to, to cycle in a very safe environment and the Velo Club capitalised on that. And now we are seeing dozens and dozens and dozens of youngsters coming through by the year and um, some really good talent as a result. Yeah, spearheaded, of course, by Sam Colwell, who you know, we hope to see in action um, you know, competitively and, and, and with a bit of momentum behind him this summer. Obviously, yeah, yeah, made that jump to the pro ranks last year. And again, another person who was really hamstrung by the pandemic in terms of what he was able to do. But uh, yeah, I mean, a, a great moment for the sport to see him following the footsteps of, of Tobin Horton. And, exactly. Uh, We've had a succession of... Um, top dogs, as it were, which have inspired the next generation. I mean, I think when you go back to, as I say, when I first started seeing Alan Renyard and the likes of Ian Brown came through, Dave Hobson um, was the next one, which succeeded and vied with Ian for a while. I mean, in fact, Ian, um, sorry, Dave Hobson was the um, subject to causing me deep embarrassment in um, the 1985 Island Games in the Isle of Wight when I was on duty with Chris George, our photographer, and um, we uh, went out to the West Coast for the finish of the road race, um, which was at the top of a hill overlooking the, the, the White Cliffs on the Isle of Wight. And um, we worked out a way of trying to give some information to each other at the finish. So my job was to walk halfway down the hill so every couple hundred yards away from the finish. And Chris George went even further down to um, get the riders first, first sight of the riders. Anyway, as they came up to the finish, Chris George, bless him, starts shouting out to me, it's Hobson, it's Hobson. Me getting really, really excited, starts running up the road towards the finish, towards the Guernsey contingent saying, it's Hobson, <laughs> it's Hobson. And then suddenly the, all the, the, the finishers come racing past there's not a Guernsey vest inside. <laughs> it was Chris George. I'll never forgive him for that. <laughs> it can be quite hard. I mean, it's a very hard sport to film. I've tried to... I've, tried, I've, I've filmed a bit of cycling in my time. Um, I mean, you know, they just disappear into the horizon in particularly time trials. It's very difficult. But in those days, we were, we were also runs in cycling generally. Um, we had hopes, of course. But by the time we... Uh, returned to the Isle of Man, uh, sorry, Isle of Wight in 2011, we were, we'd overtaken Isle of Man in terms of the top cycling team. And I can always remember that first morning of that, that particular games. Cycling was the first two events, with the, the, the criteriums, and um, straight away we won a women's team, t- uh, team title, Anne Bowditch, I think it was, who won the individual women's cr- crit. And then we came to the men's and, and Tobin Horton was our leading rider there. And I remember going into the last lap, he was one of a group, a biggest group at the front who disappeared out of view and you wondered where he would be when you came out. 
when he came back into sight, he was miles ahead. He just absolutely blitzed the opposition way, which showed the quality he had, which is probably, he must be our best ever cyclist. And yeah, as I say, lots to look forward to. I think you know, when the Island Games do you know, come back to Guernsey, eventually now in a, in a couple of years, um, yeah, the cycling events, the criterium, you know, they'll, they'll be uh, kind of close to the top of the list, I think, of, of the, the events that people are going to want to watch. Um, I, yeah, I remember you know Sam Caldwell winning gold in Gibraltar was a spectacular moment, and you know if anything like that could be repeated um, in 2023, I'm not sure whether Sam will be there, but um, yeah, it would be pretty awesome. That was one of my favourite moments of Gibraltar. And you and I happened to be standing pretty much next to each other at that finish line and um, on the Criterium as they went into the final lap, and I do remember there was a another guy like a team official from um, one of the other islands who, as these three riders, including Sam, went past, um, I think it was a, was it a Saruman guy, um, just basically turned to, turned to me and said, our, our guy's a pro. And basically, obviously expecting him to win. And, so, and I just sort of like, just smiled at him. So, okay, yeah, fine. Oh, well, that's good for you. I just had it in my back of my mind. I thought, Sam's got this. And when he came and crossed that line, it was just it was tremendous. And you just you just know that there's a, a class about him that can take him a, sort of above that level. But it's a, I mean, it's like with Tobin. I mean, I saw Tobin win a Criterium in Rhodes, um, which I perhaps wasn't expecting at the time. I mean, I know he'd already been to a Commonwealth Games. The first time I ever met him was, um, funnily enough, interviewing him through a fence in Melbourne because I wasn't allowed into the cycling sort of camp. But the fences were just basically mesh. And Tobin was sat there having a drink after the road race in Melbourne. And I said, oh, can I have a quick word with you? Um, and I, I don't think you can really underplay how big a role Tobin has had in recent Guernsey cycling um, interest. Because just having someone of that profile go on from just a really nice, humble, local boy to go on and be a pro and win big events like the London Nocturne and things like that. It's just really helping, like Rob said, with the development of Delancey Park, it's sort of like all mesh, like the perfect storm for cycling at the time. It's just got more and more people interested and involved. And it, uh, I have great admiration for him too. I mean, it, I always find it quite funny if I'm off to, say, a hockey match which starts at half nine on a Saturday morning. On, on my drive there, I'm thinking, there's probably already been a road race, been and gone this morning. <laughs> And the same thing on a Sunday when you're driving into work. They probably had already had a time trial this morning. It's, the commitment it requires to do that is, is just amazing. And, and just fair play to what we produce. And yeah, like you say, Tony, I think um, when the next Island Games does come back to our shores, I think the Criterion, I mean, it's going to be five, six, seven deep watching that because it's such a great event, the Criterion. It's one of the highlights of every Games. And um, yeah, fingers crossed, we, we might get another gold for a, a local rider. Yeah, of course, you'll be able to read, uh, read all about the, the mountain bike time trial uh, next week in the paper. Jamie Ingram will be down there. I think I'm going to be there with the camera as well. So hopefully we'll have a bit of footage, um, which you'll be able to see through the Press Sport channels on social media, at GSY Press Sport on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Now, if you picked up the, the paper over the, the last few weeks, uh, you will have seen, of course, that we're in the midst of a, a pretty epic uh, countdown uh, running through uh, a list of Guernsey's top 100 footballers of all time, uh, supported very kindly by DWA. Uh, Rob, this has been a, a pretty mammoth undertaking for you. Um, just explain the concept behind it um, you know, for people who, who perhaps are just, um, who have just been sort of dipping in uh, and, and why it's been such a, a challenge and a, and a kind of effort to put together. Well, first and foremost, we wouldn't be able to um, have 
gone through with it without the supply of the detailed books by Richard Payne, which he donated to the press in about the year 2000. Richard, bless him, had um, gone through, recorded basically every senior football match from 1896 onwards. And we have probably about a dozen hardback books which gives detail season by season of every player and invariably at the end of it that player's career he totaled them up and gave the number of goals etc etc so without that basis it would have been very 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 difficult to um to um come up with a a top 100 and of course we're also indebted to um frank cusack's work in terms of the Marathi and opton books because I'll dip, regularly dip into that to see how some of our whoever the player feature player is how they performed at the on the big gate on the big days. Um, we're also indebted to Steve Sharman, who came up with a sort of a formula for us to record and judge how which player should be in in the top one hundred. The algorithm. Uh, the algorithm. As we <laughs> it's not quite Cambridge Analytica, yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, it, no, it's getting there. It, it's, Basically, it's it, it's based on Marathi performances, length of career with the Mar- with the island side, and also with the club side. Skills you get a point for a good, you know, strong header, header over wall, tackler, passer, speed, etc. And in the end, of course, there's charisma comes into it as well because there's some players who were undoubtedly outstanding players but weren't around for very long, and I think they deserve to score highly on on the charisma front. Because they were big style players, and they and they they brought crowds into the game. Um, we've got, you know, to be honest, from players number fifty through to hundred. On another day, we might have judged them slightly differently, and their places may well have moved um, a, few, a few up or down either way. But when we now we're into the top fifty, we've got some serious talent, um, really really serious talent um, to record. And I'm quite amazed, to be honest, about um, which players we've still got to, to feature, which is, um, and it'll be exciting to just dip back into those um, careers and, and record them. Fantastic. And it has been generating quite a lot of interest, uh, rightly so. Um, yeah, as you say, we're getting towards the sharp end of things. I know you put a lot of thought into, uh, yeah, as we get to the, the top 10, you know, exactly kind of, um, you know, where they should sit and, and, and yeah, the, the background's there. And we've also tried to um, appreciate the skills of players both in modern-day football but also back in, in, in the very early days because I'm convinced that if you were a good footballer in 1910, for example, you'd have been a good footballer today. You'd have, they, Of course, they wouldn't have been as fit as they were today in those, back, back in those pre-First World War days, but put into a modern environment, those players would have adapted, I've, I've no doubt. And it is, yeah, the full breadth of, of Guernsey football history that you're, you're kind of drawing on here, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, Rob, just um, tell us about a couple of the ones from this week in particular. So some, some sad news. Um, yeah, it was very, week. very sad when, when I received a phone call on Tuesday morning from um, George Sovarge to say that his father, Ernie, had passed away that morning. Ernie was, would have been 103 in three months' time. And he's a wonderful, um, lovely guy. Um, who was um, active up until relatively recently. I still remember um, him coming along to GFC game before not that long ago, being a guest of Guernsey Football Club. And he, has, he absolutely loved it. And um, I know Sam Cochran, um, 
went along to Gardenia Lodge and presented him with a GFC shirt on his 100th birthday. And we, we, we ran that picture earlier this week as well. But he was, he was just a terrific bloke and um, a very, very sweet man. Obviously a very, very talented footballer. And I've spent many an hour with him at his home when he still lived at home, um, talking about his career and how he he pushed away inducements from Rangers to sign for them. Um, he was always a northerner and he was always going to stay a northerner. Um, and I just, I, it was incredible to hear, you know, his old stories, like coming back, having won the Maratian jersey in, I think, 1952, and he was captain and there was 10,000 at the White Rock to welcome home the team. It, it's it's bonkers to think of that, you know, um, those sort of those sort of scenes. But they did happen. They did happen. Quite incredible. And he and he and he he, he was um, the Channel Islands' oldest um, surviving Marathi player. Um, yeah, how big a contribution did he make to to Marathi football? Well, he he played um, Marathi football for an awful long time. And as I say, he was um, he probably you know he he was a very solid player. Players were solid in those days. They were that's how they sort of described. They were described. You know, there were very few out and out stars. If you were if you were a defender, you were just expected to defend, nothing much more than that. But he was very fit, very strong, reliable. Everybody loved him, and um, um, as I say, it's, it's sad to see him go. But um, he's had a good life, old learning. And he was asked, it was quite coincidental, or very coincidental, that he actually we'd already got on page his, um, his um, profile when I got the phone call to say he passed away, which was a second um, coincidence in, in, in the week because the previous day we'd featured Sam Cochran and it happened to be his 35th birthday. We were blissfully unaware of, but anyway, that's the way it goes. Yeah, as, you, as we said, we're, we're into the top 50. Um, when you look at some of the... Um, you know, some of the names that have featured so far, uh, you know, some will be obviously more well known to, to kind of, you know, the, the modern football community in Guernsey. Others going back, you know, a, a few years, a few decades even. Um, tell us about some of, the, some of the names that have stood out so far and, and, and perhaps stories that, that you'd forgotten or didn't even know about. Well, um, I was. I, I find it amazing just to read about the older guys in it from sort of 40s, 50s, that sort of era. And um, when I was planning the page a couple of weeks ago, um, there was this guy, Harold Degari. I'd never heard the name. And, you know, you hear of certain names from the past. That was, that was one I'd never heard of. And then reading Rob's report on him and his profile, I'm sort of like, he never lost a jersey. He played eight Marathis, senior Marathis against jersey, didn't lose, having won his three junior Marathis against jersey. And you're thinking, this guy, perhaps he should be a lot higher than sort of like in the 50s. <laughs> But then other people come along and you're thinking, actually, yeah, they're very good as well. So, you know, it, 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 it's great. I find it really fascinating to find about the, the older generation guys. But um, in doing this list, I mean, Rob's been doing all the work behind it. And, um, but just bring some of the players um, who have uh, come on it bring back a lot of sort of fond memories of having seen them, having reported on them in the time. Um, I remember when um, Mickey Ogier was featured, um, Budlow, the... The Bells stalwart and excellent Marathi midfielder, brilliant for a Marathi because he was just he was solid as well. But he could play as well, Nicky. But I was um, I, when he came up, um, I told Rob the story of um, when he was actually Bells coach, um, and I went to interview Mickey as just as a pre-season feature, and he hadn't been Bells coach for that long. 
And it was, I remember it was actually a Bowcamp school, um, not in the redeveloped Bowcamp school, but as it used to be. And they had a pre-season um, session down there. I think it must have been in July, August or sort of time. And while I had my notebook out, um, Mickey was just saying, sort of like being very cautious, saying, right, we're only aim- we're aiming for top three. We, we were on a wee-way spot. And this was a Bell side, who was a very young side, but very good. You knew that they had a lot of potential. But he just kept saying to me, no, no, top three, we'd like to get in the wee-way next year. And so I sort of wrapped up the interview and just said, thanks very much for that, Mickey. Yeah, good to see you. And he said, right, we're off the record now. I said, yeah, yeah, we are. And he looked at me, grinned and went, we're going to win it. <laughs> and he just ran off. <laughs> and fair play, because they did. They went and won the Prio that year. So um, he certainly knew what he was talking about. But just this list is bringing back sort of memories like this. And um, I won't give away who's on tomorrow's um, entry. But um, with who it was, I remember um, he probably gave one of the best individual performances I've ever seen for Guernsey, I've ever reported on for Guernsey. Um, it was back in the early noughties, um, and it was actually during the time when Guernsey used to play in the Southwest Counties Championship, and they used to play some decent sides in that. And um, it, it was a game not many people would have seen from Guernsey, because it was actually away in Eastleigh, and it was one of my first um, reporting jobs off Ireland. And this guy was absolutely immense, and it was just, it's nice to sort of recap what he did in his career as well. Fantastic. And there's lots more to come. I mean, we've got about six weeks or so uh, of, of daily um, entries still to go, Rob. You're right. Yeah, it, we're ploughing through them. I tend to get through about 10 a week. They're really enjoyable. They're really enjoyable. And um, yeah, there's some absolutely fantastic players to, still to, to, to um, record. And um, I'm sure there'll be some um, plenty of talk about whether whether we've got players in the right positions we shall see but um, I think when you get to the top 10 you'll see the quality is absolutely amazing and I don't think there'll be any arguments about whether they deserve to be there or not anyway but it's a bit of fun it's a bit of fun and um, somebody asked me this week whether we're going to do the top 100 cricketers and I thought oh <laughs> I'm not so sure about that <laughs> but um, I'm tempted but um, well, I'm not quite sure whether we'd have the depth of um information in the background to, to be able to do that but um, it's certainly something which we might well consider for the future and just just p- pick out one of the names from from the from that um the 50 odd we've had so far that, that that you haven't mentioned that that really stands out in terms of a, a, a you know a good yarn i'm a bit like gareth i like i'm sort of fascinated by some of these people you never saw but um and one of those was vince tosvin who was number 49 um Played with his son, Tony, who also became a um, Ratty player many, many years later. But I'm staggered to see that Vince was still playing Marathi football at the age of 40, which is incredible. He hadn't, you know, he came back with his age of 40 to play left back in a winning team when he hadn't played for barely for two years because of injury. Um, but I'm told by my, my Uncle Don, who played with him in Belgrave's teams that won the Upton and, play, and he also played in the Marathi with him, that he was just really tough and a fantastic player. Um, Lloyd Duckman, who was the um, North captain when they won the treble, um, I say treble in in 1961-62-63, they won three Uptons on the trot, having blitzed the league. He was obviously a quality player. He was a brother of Len Duckman, who played for Spurs. And um, he's always a source of great um, stories of players of that era. And one of his teammates, again, I never saw, but I'm just, his re- record was phenomenal as a striker, was um, Jim Eaker, who apparently was absolutely brilliant in the air. 
And one particular season he scored, I think it was 54 goals as North won the league. And his inside forward alongside him played a chap called Barry Mai, um, managed to score about 40. It was incredible. You know, they must have been one hell of a team, one hell of a team. And crucially, uh, just it's worth pointing out, this is a list of, of non-professionals, really. So, you know, we, we're not going to expect to see Matt Letizia appearing. No, 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 no. Um, we, there are one or two professionals included, but they had to have come back to Guernsey to contribute into Guernsey football. Um, those who went away like Matt and never came back and played aren't, aren't considered. Um, so um, that, that, that's our, our one rule, one stipulation. Well, it's been a fantastic countdown so far, as I say, about six weeks or so of, uh, of daily entries to go. And then and as we get to that top 10, I think you're going you're gonna to make a bit more of, um, yeah. of the stories. We're going we're gonna to have a, a, a we're going to put together a, a little special kind of a panel discussion, um, reflecting on the list as a whole and particularly the top 10 when we get to that point. So that's something to watch out for. Fantastic. And well, hopefully we'll see some some football um yeah, being played in, uh, in in 2021 again um, fairly soon. We'll um, yeah, we'll keep across, of course, all the the sport um, as it comes back. Uh, as we say, it should be. Uh, we, we look like we could be on the verge of of things kicking off uh, in a major way again, which is uh, which is really exciting. Yeah, you see the f- the fixtures which are scheduled um, at the moment. Um, we're not far away from it. There's some cracking games being lined up. You see, Selvins and Martins and Rovers, the three main sides going to be coming across each other early on when the, when the when the return does happen probably in a couple of weeks so i suspect we're gonna get some really good crowds around the grounds in the coming weeks well let's hope so well that's uh, just about it i think for the first uh, ever guernsey press sport podcast we'll be back next week uh, as i say when all being well we'll be looking forward to a pretty packed schedule of local action in the meantime make sure you hit subscribe or follow on your podcast player if you've enjoyed this first show uh, then rate review tell your friends and family about it uh, otherwise uh, take care stay safe and we'll see you next time Bye.